Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode 27 of the Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Great to have you here as always. I'm coming to you from LA today, Marina Del Rey to be specific. And it's been a transformative week for me in America. I started off up in Sedona, Arizona, running a one-on-one retreat for one of my coaching clients who's going through my six-month uh, transformative program at the moment. He's in phase two, which means facing fears and taking a big leap. So we did two days at a beautiful resort up there. It was actually one of the hottest days, almost the hottest day on record in Arizona, which to give you some perspective, I think was 48 or 49 degrees Celsius. So it was a crazy heat up there. Uh, But we worked together for two days, just diving deep, finding out some of his challenges, some of the things that are holding him back, mindsets, inspiring him to take some big leaps and some big action in his life. And the fun part about working with me is you get to do something with an airplane at every phase through the coaching program. So after we'd worked together one-on-one, we went up to the Grand Canyon and we skydive from about 15,000 feet above the Grand Canyon. Got an amazing view into the Grand Canyon from up there and it was uh, it was pretty scary it was pretty scary even for me but it was worth it to see those views and to uh, overcome the fear of heights the fear of skydiving that most of us had so that was pretty cool and then I spent the last four days in LA with uh, the group of game changers and, and world leaders that I'm in called 4PC where we just had some really inspiring transformative conversations about changing the world what we can do what different angles we can take and man it was it was really amazing of course the reason this podcast was started to help curb some of the the suicide rates in New Zealand that have reached really really high levels including just uh, last week the UNICEF report that said New Zealand now has the highest highest youth suicide rate in the world, which is absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, So it was great to spend time with them, just working through some of those problems. I got some great ideas and I'm feeling more motivated and inspired uh, than ever to get out there and, and help New Zealand grow and change. Uh, I was so excited that Mr. Di Henwood said yes to coming on the show this week. We had a wonderful conversation that you're going to enjoy. For those of you that don't know Di, if you're from outside of New Zealand, he's my favourite comedian. He's a household name in New Zealand. Let me just run through the list about Di. He won the famous uh, or the coveted Billy T Award for comedy. It's the highest award of uh, for a comedian in New Zealand in 2002. He toured Melbourne and Edinburgh comedy festivals. Uh, he entered the television world in 2002 with The Everyman with Reese Darby. Uh, in 2007, he became a household name with his show Roll the Die. He made it to the Just for Laughs uh, Festival in Montreal, which is invite only. And he's now the team captain on one of the biggest comedy shows on TV in New Zealand, Seven Days, and host of Family Feud. My goal with this uh, conversation was to show you a different side of Dai, one that you might have seen before or might not have seen before, and I think I achieved that. Dai opened up about his uh, his interest and his fascination in Eastern East Asian studies like Buddhism and um, Zen and mod- uh, meditation, and also about some of the practices he used uh, to overcome uh, anxiety, overcome some of his uh, issues that he's had throughout his uh, career. You're going to enjoy this one. Di really opens up. We had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. So enjoy this very personal conversation with my friend, Di Henwood. Yeah, I'll, I'll do. here's a brief history of Di. Well, I, I was born in Wellington and grew up in Wadestown, which is um, a sort of close-ish to the city suburb. And um, I sort of, my parents who were and still are a massive influence in my life, my dad was an actor and my mum was a lawyer when I was born and then she became one of the first uh, woman judges wow. in New Zealand. And they sort of brought me up. In, in an awesome mix of very loose and very strict at the same time because um, I spent a lot of time in the theatre around really artistic people. And their whole push for me was to, I had to get an education, um, didn't matter what I studied, but had to go to university so I um, could, as they put it, so I could find out what I didn't know, could find out that there's so many things to learn, it's just whatever you want to get into. And um, I just went through school at, at Wadestown Primary School, then went to Wellington College, where I was, um, I've always been a big sports fan and into the arts, so I played rugby and did theatre, so um, I sort of was a bit blessed in a way, because um, often there's uh, there, there's quite a bit of segregation between those groups, but I sort of had a foot in both camps, which was nice, and I was always, um, always into sort of helping people in a way, like um, I, I was always big into the student council and I really like um, trying to get more 
nights for students and that sort of thing, and making people laugh. And then I went to university where I um, got straight into theatre and film and psychedelic Eastern religion, <laughs> which is like where people, it sort of mainly started um, why people believe in God. And then it moved into um, tribes and other religions that use psychedelics to either control a tribe or to um, find God. And um, got a degree, but halfway through that, I discovered stand up comedy. And um, now 20 years and one month later, I'm still doing it. And, yeah, it's that, that was sort of me in Wellington and through a various, various hospitality jobs sort of kept me alive until I could um, start earning money from um, comedy, which I, I did, and then went through sort of the ups and then extremely depressing times of winning, the, the ups of winning like the Billy T Award over here, which was huge, and that gave me the impetus to tour to Melbourne and then to Edinburgh, where I proceeded to have no one come and see my shows and lose around $35,000 between the two, um, and so that put me in a bit of a funk, and I was living with... Um, the Flight of the Concords at the time. And they that was when they were breaking to become this world sensation. So they were on this, um, like, 737 of excitement just taking off. And I could, uh, sort of in a broken car on the runway <laughs> that couldn't get going. And um, and so that, 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 that then strangely steeled my resolve to become a stand-up. And then I moved back to New Zealand and just went down a different, from path of performance and went balls to the wall and then I started getting a couple of breaks and then I got a TV show and then it sort of all just took off and um, it's been an extremely hard road um, and thinking thinking about it actually I was, I was trying to think what got me through like those mm. real hard points and it was the fact that I um, I never had a goal like I sort of believe in not having goals which sounds counterintuitive to what most people think i've just enjoyed each stage of my career because in performance and in anything really someone's always got a better gig than you someone's always got a better job than you someone's done better travel than you are so i i sort of just got into the mindset of i just enjoy every moment in my career whether it was um living in a bit of a shitty flat with a good mate just earning 20 bucks to do a gig, but then that would buy me a few beers and would talk shit through the night. And then then I was getting paid more and I could get a better flat. And so, yeah, I was sort of, which in a way tied into my Eastern religion sort of training of Zen of living in the moment and just enjoying every step. Yeah, awesome. Great summary. Thank you for that. I want to circle back to some of those some of those things you talked about, but... Just to come back to your childhood, you, you had really high-achieving parents, one being a lawyer, one doing extremely well in the theatre. Did you feel the pressure of from them uh, being such high performers? Yeah, well, I'll also, I, I forgot to mention, I'm an only child as well, um, which it, I definitely felt the pressures. Um, like I, and I wasn't I wasn't by any means a good student like I was a, I was a solid <laughs> C plus student like I would I would study hard real really hard for maths exams and that but I'd only just scrape by I wasn't um but I but I did enjoy school and there was pressure from my from my parents not not that they ever said it but it was just I I sort of felt that I needed to succeed in, in something to um, I mean I knew they'd always love me no matter what but there was sort of that because they both dad um, dad has succeeded very highly in, in theatre and um, and mum obviously in the law becoming a judge and so forth so it was um, I did feel a pressure and when that sort of lurking around I suppose you can go two ways you can sort of go off the rails or um, you could stay on the rails and in hindsight my parents were very good at angling me towards groups of people that would help me succeed. And I, to this day, believe that's very strong, that, um, that it's who you surround yourself with and who your friends are dictates who you will be. Like, you know, whether you wanted to 
if you wanted to stop drinking, you're not going to hang out with the mates that you drink with 24-7 because that's just not going to help. So yeah, It's kind of that old adage of you're, um, it's become a bit stereotypical, but you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, which is quite crazy. Like if that was true, you would actually think a lot more about the people that you spend time yeah, but with you, versus you, spend time with. That, this is that that sort of comes down to the beauty of humans, though. Really, is there's no black or white. You know, there might be someone who's really bad for you, but you get along with them like a house on fire. You know, like eighty percent of it is yeah. awesome, but then it's the twenty percent of them that can lead you astray, or whatever. And I think you need a tiny bit of being led astray because you've got to you've got to be <laughs> naughty every now and again, just a dash of naughtiness, just a dash. And I, just a I mean, to this. To this day, my life has been finding balance and finding moderation, which I've recently come to discover that I don't do moderation. And I don't know whether that's because being a performer, I, you can't be moderate when you're out on the stage. You've got to leave it all out there. But I'm, I'm very much all or nothing hmm. myself. And there must be two sides to that, right? Like that probably gives you great success in what you do. Yeah, that, that's the thing, is it, is it gives me great success in what I do, but then you can come across troubles of um, it can be harder to to not have a dozen beers, <laughs> to, you know, like you sort of enjoy things in excess. And, I mean, once I've, since I've um, had kids and settled down, that's become a lot a lot easier. But, um, no, but that's, I, I think, why a lot of performers can have um, issues with anxiety, depression, or so forth, because they're, they're so up and down of leaving things all out. And um, yeah, When you look at performers and uh, depression, Chris Cornell's the most recent one uh, committing mm. suicide. Do you take anything away from that? It sounds like you've given a little bit of thought to some of the yeah, reasons. Well, what I take away from that is that it sort of, in a way, comes back to my goals um, of not having any goals, because the if you he a lot of these people who are high profile, they have what everyone wishes they had. Do you know what I mean? Like they have sort of the money to do what they want. They're travelling, doing these insanely exciting things, yet they're in an extraordinarily dark place because it's like they found the top of the world. Then what do they do? You know, do you, um, where do you go from there? I mean, and I, I would hate to even speculate what was going through his mind or, or what position he was because uh, I'm not um, enlightened to, to any of the facts you read outside of the media. But everyone has their own, own battle and I've been blessed with um, not suffering from depression. I get anxiety not not majorly, but I've been blessed with that, and um, I had no friends who who suffer through depression, and it put it puts you in a different space. No matter how um how successful you are, how much money you have, how beautiful your wife is, what your house is like, that matters nothing if you can't get out of bed because your mind is playing tricks on you. Yeah, exactly. So, have you experienced any of that? I mean, you've had massive success, so. And you've got this thing about not setting goals. Has that helped you keep perspective or has that helped you deal with the success? Yeah, like the thing is I've, I suppose it's come very slowly. Um, in a way, my success, it came sort of a bit later in life, whereas a lot of rock and rollers get it sort of when they're 18 or whatever. And then it skyrockets from there. I sort of got, um, I started getting on TV and started getting really well known in New Zealand more when I was like late 20s. And so sort of it's been through my 30s that I've been successful on um, television. And I've sort of tasted it, but um, because I've been sort of more along the L&P vibe of world famous in New Zealand, Kiwis are pretty good at keeping you down to, <laughs> keeping you down to size. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I've got friends who've sort of made it more in the US and that's a different um, kettle of fish where it's a bigger pond, there's a lot more money. Um, it, it's got, I suppose, a lot more of a celebrity culture and I don't know how surviving in that environment would be. That would be very different. But I've, um, I've always, I suppose, my motto throughout my stand-up is I'm just a Kiwi trying to have a good time. 
So I haven't sort of placed myself in a in that rap fantasy of um, diamond rings and crystal and that. I'm quite quite happy just having a beer and driving a Mazda sort of <laughs> sort of situation. So um, the temptation so must be I, there as the success increased to go down that path. Oh, absolutely. I um, put the kibosh on that by having a couple of kids and undertaking renovations. And I'm now, <laughs> now oh, there, there's no Cristal and Mercedes being bought with that. But um, I suppose, like, for me, it's not, um, I haven't had the enormous highs. Like, I've had great highs as a performer of performing in the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal, which is one of the most sought after invitation only festivals and that i've had that but i suppose for me mentally the toughest was the downs of um edinburgh festival especially which is huge and i went over there as a young 20 year old 22 or 22 year old and like first night of my show got a standing ovation 100 people there the next night there was 30 people there and 10 minutes into the show 28 of them walked out like and that was crushing and I still had 24 more shows to do back to back to back. And I had to cancel some and that. And, I, you know, I was away from home. And the only thing that got me through that was um, a mate, Brett McKenzie, who I was living with, um, just coming in. I was breaking down and just crying in my room. <laughs> and he, um, he just came in and we talked for two hours. And he just put perspective on things that it's just a show, man. It's just money. You believe in yourself. You're a good performer, and that and that that pulled me out. Pulled me out oh. of it. And um, it sort of comes back to that that thing of which is easy to say, and you almost hear it so much that you forget about it. That you've just actually got to talk to someone when you're feeling bummed out or depressed. It's sort of no matter what the problem is. Once you verbalise it, it seems less. You know, like I think for me, like uh, I, I'm, I'm very much one of those wake up at two in the morning, and you've got all these sort of this very anxious to do list in your head of things or a big problem or I've got to tell that person I can't do that. And then in the light of day, once you actually start doing it and tell people, they understand. Yeah, people are a lot more understanding than you think. Yeah, like for me, a big thing that I've learned to do over the last year is I've been getting into just saying no. Like Kiwis are really bad at saying no, and then you—it's really true, actually—and then you overcommit to things, and then you're stressed out, and you get this feeling of letting people down. Whereas you're not pissing someone off by saying no; they'd rather you say no than string them along and then bail out of something. So um, it was a guy, I was listening to a podcast of Tim Ferriss talking to Derek Sivers, who started um, CD Baby, I think it was. He sort of became a huge... Yeah, amazing yeah. guy. And he had the philosophy of fuck yeah or no, that like if you hear something and you go, yes, I want to do that, you do it. But if it just sort of fills you with a bit of dread just say no to it and um this year i i like i've left quite a bit of money on the table by saying no to gigs i didn't want to do but i haven't i've been so happy it's meant that everything i've gone to i've really been 100 percent into it and it's also made me realize that there's only so much like money you do need to make for happiness and that you can actually get yourself into a pretty down spot and a pretty depressed spot trying to make every cent that you can and doing things you don't want to do because then you flip your balance around to you're doing something you don't want to do 70% of the time, whereas it should be only like 10% of the time you're doing something you don't want to do. Yeah, something I say a lot of my coaching practice is no is a complete sentence. <laughs> we feel yes. like we have to come up with all these excuses like oh yeah no i can't do that bro i've got to go and catch up with my auntie yeah. but you don't need the excuse yeah well it's like no one ever justifies a yes you just go <laughs> yeah i'll do that 
but no, you're right. It's like, oh, nah, it's just I'm after bit busy that week. Oh, how about next week? Oh, but nah, okay. you know, and then you end up in this thing and just going, no, sorry, that's not my thing. Also, no, is it's a negative, but it's, you're not dissing the other person. They're just asking you something, you know? Yeah, nobody's and really if you just go, by it either. Like if somebody says no to you, you just go, oh, okay, and you move on. But when it's the other way around, we create this big story in our head about, oh, it's going to be offensive, oh, I can't, I've got to have a good reason. But in reality, you can just say, no, I don't really want to do that. Oh, completely. It's like I, I was thinking about that um, in terms of a gig. Like I was, I was booking a gig, and so I'm asking some comics if they want to be on it. And they just say, oh, no, that's not for me. And I just move on to the next person to book. But when it's on my foot... I think, oh, God, they just can't do this gig without me. I'm going to have to do it. You know, I'm the only one that they need. And it's going, oh, no, they'll just probably think of someone else. (laughs) Exactly. You know, because if they did really need you and you were the last case scenario, they'd tell you that. That, That's the idea. So, you know, that's it. That's given me, that's given me, that's also made me feel a lot more powerful. And I think when you feel more powerful and in control, that helps your general mood and that helps you, gives you some agency, like to, um, you're feeling like you're in control of things. Well, it's like this thing now about being busy. Everybody's busy. Everyone you talk to is busy, eh? And you can't, um, we really look up to people that are busy. Yeah. And the truth is, like when I hear somebody say they're busy, I think, well, there's a guy that's disorganised. If you're that busy, you can't create any time for yourself. Yeah, completely. This is the, I mean, the benefit for me of being self-employed is I do, I've got mates who have to go to work from eight till six, but I reckon, and talking to them, they could do their whole job in two days if they just went balls to the wall. <laughs> and the benefit for me is when I'm filming, like we film Family Feud over here, Oh, we film five episodes a day, so I just hammer through it. I'd rather when I work, yeah, when I work, I work hard. But then I can, I have like four days a week to hang out with my kids and my wife and do things, you know, take my kid fishing, go for a massive bushwalk. And to me, that's filling up my bucket. You know, that's making me that's making me happy. And I my take on happiness is people. Uh, as there's a, a sort of uh, a lot of me leans towards um, Eastern religion, even though I'm not Buddhist or whatever. Just I think there's a lot of things to take out of that. That people now look at hap- mistake happiness and fun for the same thing. Like fun is when you go out and have some drinks with your mates and have this huge laugh. Happiness is just actually a state of quiet contentment and people's, people search for fun rather than happiness. And happiness is just looking out the window and going, well, the sky's beautiful, you know, or I'm going on a real quiet bushwalk with my family or I'm in this beautiful part of the world doing nothing. <laughs> to me, that's happiness. It's not, um, yeah. I'm only happy if I'm like, yeah, Coachella, you know, with my mates and it's just going buck wild. You know, that's happiness. No, that's having awesome fun. And they're two different things. Yeah, what I got there is ones are doing and ones are being. Like happiness is a state of being. It's not something that you do. Yes, exactly. Where you can, um, like, just enjoy driving or just, I've been, it's so hard to do to enjoy every moment. Of course. Um, or not to enjoy every moment, but to be in every moment because, you know, humans naturally think of rushing and that's a um, trait I have which gives me a lot of stress is I have to, I feel I need to rush things so I often have to just sit back and give it some space. I want to circle back to something you said at the start and around the challenging times of Edinburgh and just this concept of not setting goals because I love it, you know, there's really something to it. And I remember it brought up for me listening to a Tim Ferriss podcast and he was talking about Denmark being voted the happiest country in the world. And he said he ran into a Danish guy and he said, hey, I I heard Denmark is the happiest country in the world. What's your secret? And the guy just said, oh, we have the lowest expectations. Yeah, exactly. Which is funny, but there's also some truth to that. 
Yeah, well, uh, the whole idea of expectations is a um, strange thing because an expectation is about something that will happen in the future that may or may not happen. So there's always an expectation. So if you're just like this thing for me of not having goals has set me so well was it's meant I've enjoyed whatever opportunity came along and whether it be a TV show in the outback of Australia or just doing a, a, a charity gig um, for Starship Hospital or whatever it is, it just pops up and you go, oh, yeah. That's my goal is immediate. It's the next gig that's happening. Whereas if your goal is so lofty, um, you're just so stressed out and you feel like you're never meeting your expectation. Like my, you know, if your goal is I need to be living in this mansion with a car and my hot blonde wife, and then you create this sort of invisible goal that might not actually bring you happiness when you get that. Because along with that house, you've got this huge mortgage. You might have married a trophy wife and that ends up being a, a, you're not in an actual sort of purely loving relationship. You know, it's all these other things. So if you're just happy with every decision as it comes along, I believe that, that the culmination of all those decisions will land you in a happy place. Yeah, Kyle Cease. I listen to a lot to Kyle Cease. He's a comedian turned... Well, he calls himself a transformational comedian now, I think. Yeah. But he says the biggest problem we have in the Western world is this idea of, I'll be happy when. Yeah. We, we probably don't say it like that, but it's that idea of when you get the big house, the wife, the the, the, the boat, batch, and BMW kind of thing, then I'll be happy, which immediately drops you out of being happy now because you're saying, well, when I get this thing, that's when I'll finally be happy, so therefore I'm not happy now. And it keeps taking you out of the present moment. Yeah, exactly, because it's all – because then I, I think if you get in, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because then you get to that rung on the ladder that you thought was happiness, but there's another rung above that and you're on this endless ladder. Um, so I think it's a, it's a hard thing. Like I love listening to all sorts of podcasts like especially at Tim Ferriss's and that sort of thing but then I had to stop because then I was going now I'm in this trying to achieve the start you know now I'm trying to become like a um, chess master you know? <laughs> <laughs> and all this sort of carry on I want to join the Navy SEALs yeah exactly um, yeah no I've actually been listening to a couple of podcasts with um, Jocko Willink who is, um, he's one of those ex-Navy SEALs who sort of does the rounds on the podcast with Joe Rogan and um, Tim Ferriss. And then all of a sudden I felt I should be getting up at 4.30 and doing <laughs> kettlebell swings. And yeah, I'm the same. <laughs> all this, but... He puts a photo on Twitter of his watch at 4 a.m. Yeah. in the morning with some motivational <laughs> quote. Man, I should be getting up at 4 a.m. Yeah, what I am I doing with my life? Exactly. And I mean, my, but my thing is I'm massively into... I, people call them fads, but they're things I'm into giving anything a try, right? And something I've been doing, for instance, that amazingly helped my mental state was Wim Hof method. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I have heard of it. I've never tried it. Yeah, so I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like breathing and um, cold therapy, like um, taking a lot of cold showers, doing this sort of controlled hyperventilation. Now, if anyone wants to investigate it, it's Wim, W-I-M, Hoff, H-O-F-F. And the best intro is if you Google him with Vice documentary, there's a 36-minute doco that a couple of guys from Vice made on him. And um, that sort of... Awesome, we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, that sort of explains it all. And that was my intro pretty much to almost three years ago now. And um, so I've been doing that well, probably five times a week. And wow, cool. It's, um, I bought his course. He's one of these great guys where it's, he's not trying to make a fortune off it, right? So I bought his course that was a hundred and something bucks and it's 10 weeks of videos that shows you how to do it. And, um, and I, st I don't use them now as it's sort of so ingrained, but it amazingly helped my anxiety and mental well-being especially under stressful situations around performing and so forth. And I love giving things a go. And um, 
that's why I love listening to um, podcasts with random people from Navy SEALs to whatever because I'll give it a go. And if it doesn't work, no loss, I tried something new. But if it does, even if I only take 10% of that away, that's another little tool I've learned. And I mean, awesome. I've, I mentioned the Eastern religion thing. I studied um, like Zazen meditation when I was 18, so like um, 1998, so over in um, just out of Tokyo. And um, meditation is something that I so into then fell out of. And I, in the last um, last few years, I dove back into in a big way. And that, for me, just taking 20 minutes a day of the, the world, out of my phone, out of thinking about the next thing, thinking about the next show, has that that's really helped me. And especially um, I've got two young children, so that's um, very mentally taxing to, to keep on, to sort of keep cool and keep calm. Because I love my kids more than anything, but I've never experienced what anger actually meant, like, meant <laughs> until I had a four-year-old who would not listen to me. Do you have a meditation practice that you follow, like a guided meditation? It's even that word meditation has got so much charge to it, but the reality is it's just sitting down and closing your eyes yeah, and oh, listening. Oh, completely. Like meditation is not um, – it's not – so I think because we have this disgusting way in the West of we have to monetize everything. So when people get – how can I add value to meditation so I can sell it? You know, how can I do this? How can I do that? It's like um, what basically a lot of the West took Buddhism from Japan and monetized it, and now I was trying to sell it back to them, like with different apps and all this bits and bobs. But or yoga from India. Oh yeah, that's just stretching. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just stretching. Like you, you don't. You, it's yoga is not that hard, but. Well, I mean, it is extremely hard, actually, <laughs> if you want to get really good at it. But um, no, meditation for me, like, I, I think a great place to start is actually an app like Headspace or actually to do it free, um, the best guided meditations are by Sam Harris, I think. Um, he has both an eight-minute and a 20-minute meditation that are free both on YouTube and SoundCloud. And... That's a great intro in, and but I now just, once you've got the tools, so basically if you do 10 guided meditations, you'll get the flow of it and then just do it and then maybe each day extend it. And for me what works is 20 minutes a day. Yeah, that's great. I'll put those in the show notes as well, um, those guided meditations. I want to shift gears a little bit. You mentioned that Kiwis in particular have a good way of helping you keep your head in check and yeah. keep you modest. What's that meant for you in real terms over the years? I sort of have a love-hate relationship with it because Kiwis have very, are very good at the backhanded compliment. Like um, they're, not, they're not that – they not won't just come up and um, say, hey, I really enjoyed your show, man. Uh, you, you're a funny comedian. It's more come up and go, oh, what's you up there, mate? You're a piece of shit. You weren't very funny. And then give you a little whack. Nah, you're all right, mate. You're all right. <laughs> you know, like, there's no, like, a, sort of like, what are you trying to That's say? <laughs> and um, Is it possible just to give a compliment? Yeah, just to come up and go, hey, mate, you do great work, you know? And I think we, um, we quietly celebrate success over here and it's, it, do, it does play in our, our favour, but it also means that people, which I think Kiwis could be more of, is just it's okay to be confident. Like if I say, you know, I'm, I'm a comedian and I'm a very good comedian and I have confidence in my skills. Oh, slow down, Kiwis mate. Is, don't go on about it. Yeah, Kiwis, don't go. Oh, they're like, all right, mate. We're all, all good at our job, mate, you know? And and it's like, no, well, I, it's the thing of, it's okay to have pride in what you do. There's a difference between being a wanker about it and just having confidence in your job and having confidence in your skill. And there's, I think there's a big 
correlation between confidence and happiness in terms of if you're confident that means you're often feeling good in your own skin which means that you're content which means that you're happy so it's it's yeah i think kiwis could just maybe be a bit more confident in their skills and just you know i've i've sort of always liked that thing of if you're thinking something nice about someone just say it to them you know like buying um sushi the other day and um someone just behind me they they didn't recognize me they just went hey mate i really like um that jersey bro and i was like oh thanks and i just felt really good about the fact that i'd chosen to buy a nice jersey <laughs> like it was that thing of whereas they could have kept that in their head but that actually changed my day like that sort of shifted my perspective a bit and it's um, it's a book I've been reading to my son actually about um, this idea that everyone has an invisible bucket above their head, and the more nice things you say to someone or helping people, you fill up their bucket, and every drop you put in their bucket, you get one in yours. And this whole idea of of sort of if you do good, you feel better and it makes you want to do more good and then you're making that person feel good so they want to do some good. And um, I really like that idea and it sort of made me go, yeah, if I think something nice about someone, I'll say it to them because that might um, that might change their day. They might be feeling down and that might be the little thing that flicks them around a bit. Yeah, it seems so simple. It seems crazy to even have to say it, but I actually I get where you're coming from. This is quite a novel yeah, idea also- in New Zealand. And also because Kiwis, we're a bit shy as a nation, so we don't want to, it might be a bit nerve-wracking saying um, saying that to someone, but it, it very rarely goes badly unless you happen to have an extremely sleazy tone and tell people how beautiful their eyes are and then you start looking a bit creepy. So you've got to pick your moments. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely do. What's been your experience of traveling? Actually, it reminds me of a funny story, traveling. You and I met each other on a flight once. We sat next to each other on a flight from Auckland to LA, I think. It was about, must have been about six or seven years ago, 2010, because I was going to, I was flying to Miami for my cousin's stag party, which was a pretty wild time. And we were sitting next to each other and we were chatting and then, I put my seat back and had a, a you know couple of hours sleep. Yeah. And then when I woke up, the flight attendants had given you a full bottle of champagne, and you were just sitting there drinking drinking the champagne. And you just looked over to me and went, "Champagne, bro." Yeah. And I was like, "Sure, why not? Let's do this." It was a pretty <laughs> funny moment. Absolutely. No, that would that would have been well in my champagne days then. Um, <laughs> in your crystal days. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm glad you went to a stag do in Miami and made it back. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty lucky, actually. We did the full dress up, Miami Vice, white pants, sunglasses. Yeah, drunk the whole weekend. Went out deep sea fishing for oh, wow. Marlin in the Atlantic. It was a pretty crazy weekend. Good memories. Yeah. No, that was us actually. Then that was um, was, that was a great. Uh, set of jobs I had back then. I was just going to LA to do junket interviews with um, celebrities like P. Diddy and those sort of people. So I'd fly over for three days, do like half an hour's work and just um, sort of cruise around LA having having a bit of champagne here and there and <laughs> and living in this surreal bubble. Oh, living the dream. So how do you how do you look back on it now? If you look back on your career, all those sort of times and the highs and the lows, how do no, you look back and reflect on it now? I, you know, I, I look back and um, it's weird. I try not to sort of dwell and look back on things too much. Um, but sometimes I mean, I meet some people when I'm touring around who they seem to spend their whole life living in the past of when it was real cool, you know, <laughs> when when they're in their heyday. And I, um, I've i just been blessed for having so many cool, weird experiences. And thinking back, I just think I'm so glad I pretty much said yes to any gig I wanted to say yes to. And that's how I, I, I didn't let things stop me. Didn't I sort of just did what I wanted to do. I've always... Um, 
done what I wanted to do, which um, I'm really, really happy about. And it's meant that when I got to the point where um, I got married in 2011, then had kids four years ago, so like late 2012, um, I was completely ready to. I'd done so much travel, and we still continue to travel a lot and the best thing my folks ever did when I was young was just take me out of school for a month and go overseas you know I I think every human should do two things they should work in hospitality like in a bar or a restaurant for at least three months so that they can um, learn to be nice to waiters and wait staff and bar staff and I think that people should spend time in countries where they're the ethnic minority, where they don't speak the language, where they appreciate how hard it is just to go into a shop and buy some milk or buy some bread or go and get a coffee from a coffee shop. Because then when they come back to their country, then they can have a bit of pause before they start ripping into the taxi driver who might not be able to communicate very well and then they don't realize that taxi driver is actually a brain surgeon who's waiting to get their qualification over here you know i think that um to respect other cultures you need to go and immerse yourself even if it's just for a week in another culture and you need to be the outsider because especially as kiwis it's very easy for us to um get get comfy over here and i mean luckily new zealand has a bit more tolerance than australia does towards um immigration and so forth but yeah i think that that people have got to just come to grips with the fact we live in a global society now and you and i think the best way to do it is get on a plane go to thailand go to japan go to somewhere in africa (laughs) just immerse yourself and realize that People, no matter what their colour are, they're, they're just like us and they're living their life. They've got to go to the shops, they've got to go to work, they just do their thing. It's the same same country, it's just um, a little bit different. And that, that I got that from my folks taking me to Japan when I was 13 and I just came back going, wow, Japan's actually got their shit sorted. It um, was an amazing country to go to. Yeah, it's such a great lesson and you... When you're in a country and you don't speak the language, it gets pretty lonely pretty quickly. So it's a good way to go and understand what that might be like for some people. And the other thing is, like, just because we, you know, just because we do things pretty well and we don't necessarily speak the language of other countries, it doesn't mean we do everything better. It's, a, it's one thing I've learned living in Japan is you get on the public transport and it's immaculate. People know how to go on public transport because the whole uh, country, or certainly the whole city in Tokyo, does it. And there's no food or no rubbish on the train people don't shove or anything it's incredible yeah and the train and the train shows up to the minute (laughs) exactly it's amazing (laughs) so that's um that's something that i um i can't wait to to teach my kids and i mean i we live in a very ethnically diverse um neighborhood and even just taking my kid to kindy you know it makes me happy that he um he's got an indian mate a somalian friend uh, um uh, Pakiha friend, Maori friends, you know, like going, oh, this is this is making me happy. He's growing up from day dot, just where there's no um, there's no colour, you know, like he 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 sort of just says like um, like I was asking him which one his mate was, and like you know we we're ingrained to say oh it was the um, it was the the black kid or whatever. He just goes you know the one with the um, with that cool Spider Man t shirt on, <laughs> you know like that's how they that's see awesome. people. And going, it's, I'm so stoked he's, he's going to a really ethnically diverse kindy and will do primary school. And hopefully, I mean, I'm pretty optimistic about things. Hopefully, the next generation coming through in this more worldly culture, more worldly sort of society, they will, it will all just um, become a bit more people of people. But who knows? Humans can be pretty rugged. <laughs> Well, that's right. I mean, it, it, but it all starts with a conversation like this, doesn't it? And hopefully, this talking yeah, like this exactly. might impact one or two people. I was just um, my Uber driver was from Iran, and I was having a good chat to him, and he'd been here a couple of years in LA. But he was telling me that um, because they have compulsory military service in Iran, yeah, um, 
if you haven't done it and you leave the country, if you go back before the age of 40 or something like that, you they can enrol you in the army. And so now that he's left, he sort of can't really go back until he's 40 or else he risks get throwing in the military, even if he just goes back for a vacation. So he's got to leave his family and come and set up this new life and just how scary and crazy that must be. Yeah, and to be honest, I imagine the joining the uh, Iranian military is not a casual. <laughs> it's not like joining the territorials in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. Imagine it's more Jocko Wilnick than New Zealand yeah, territorials. Yeah, exactly. And so what's next for you if we look forward? Obviously, there's no goals in your future. You don't set goals. But what are your intentions looking forward? What can we expect from Dai from here on in? Um, my intentions are... Um, to basically make people laugh is what I love to do. I'm a couple of years out of the comedy festival circuit, so next year I'm gearing up to do a show. So basically I start preparing material around now for performance in May next year. So I'm doing a lot of writing. Um, I'm, I've got a couple of um, – well, I've got a TV project in the, um, in the pipeline, which I can't really talk about the details, but that's um, – very exciting from my end and it involves um travel and um some pretty unique people worldwide um that's something that i've got some development funding for which i'm um i'm about to start working on very heavily and aside that sort of keep me as busy as i want to be um while still being able to spend time with my kids and my family and um and because we've just been doing some renovations and i've been living out of piha at the beach I haven't actually seen a lot of my friends. So catching up with friends is going to be a big thing for the rest of the year. Oh, it sounds awesome, man. Uh, Di, it's been so great getting to know you and just uh, having this conversation, learning some of the things I didn't know about you, about uh, East Asian studies and Wim Hof and Sam Harris and meditation, everything, and I really appreciate you opening up in this conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been lovely chatting with you. And also, um, I mean, you're a traveller, so hopefully I can offer you... uh, um, offer you a glass of champagne on a random flight to some other amazing place in the world. <laughs> I think I owe you one. <laughs> well, it's free either way, so... <laughs> we can't lose. <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, one last question before we close. It's a, a crowd favourite, and it's about the dark side. Um, yeah. If you can talk about it. Do you have a dark side? What is your dark side? And how do you embrace it? Yeah, the dark side is... Um, I mean, obviously, being a massive fan of Star Wars since I was young, the dark side and the way it plays out <laughs> in Star Wars is so true. It, there is a battle inside, and it's so um, that quote. I'll probably mess it up, but the um, you have you have a, a white dog and a black dog inside you, and the one that you have a good dog and a bad, a good dog and an evil dog inside you, and the one that wins is the one you feed. Um, that that sort of the, the I've paraphrased that, but that that to me feel is completely right, and I've always fed the good dog, and the one that brings me happiness. But I definitely, when things for me, it was sparked mainly through if I um if I drunk too much, that that dark side would come out in me. Not I'm not a violent person or a yelling person. It's more. Um, on my own internal feelings where I would get a lot of self-doubt and um, I would get very negative on myself and feeling I needed to achieve more, I was a bad person, all this absolute bullshit that then um, then would get better. It wasn't while I was drinking, it was um, as I got older, hangovers would bring anxiety with them. And that anxiety was never a good thing for me. So I um, I do, became an ambassador for a program called Hello Sunday Morning, which is about sort of Kiwis taking a bit more of a – it started by an Australian, actually, but people taking a bit more of an idea in how much they drink and taking three months off the booze regularly to just reassociate your um, relationship with alcohol because people often think that, Alcoholism is either your rock bottom in a dumpster or you're fine. Um, whereas Kiwis sort of, I think a lot of depression comes out of binge drinking culture from um, just the anxiety and the blues that um, 
post binge can bring you. So once I realized that I um, needed to constantly monitor my relationship with alcohol, I mean, I love drinking, so I, I, at, at the moment I don't feel I need to give it up because I'm mentally in a good place and I regularly take breaks from it. And also I have two young kids, so it's um, hangovers sort of aren't really an option um, for me at the moment. But I, I realised that that brought out my dark side. So it can be quite hard, but if you can pin, if you can find out what brings out your dark side. I think it can become easier to identify its triggers. And if you can stop pulling the trigger on it, it will hide itself. And I think the more you feed that good dog, the um, the happier you'll be. And as we mentioned before, and it's been said a lot, is just having a chat can save you, you know? Whether it's opening up to... If you open up to your partner, is often a good thing if you're in a relationship because they love you. And um, even if you're telling them something that hurts you and they might find hard to hear, I think if you chat about it, it will make you stronger as a couple as well. Great words to finish with, Di. It's honestly been such a pleasure talking to you and have you open up. I just can't say thank you enough to you for coming on the show. Oh, cheers. And um, no, I look forward to listening to more of your podcasts and um, love the work you're doing. I really appreciate it, mate. Thank you. And we look forward to having you on the show again soon. Cool. Cheers, Nathan. Well, there you go, folks, my conversation with the fascinating Di Henwood. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, you can find Di all over the internet. They're at his website, diehenwood.com, on all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo at Di Henwood. And if you're in New Zealand, you'll see Di every Friday night on TV3's Seven Days as a team captain, and, of course, every weeknight on TV3's Family Feud at 530 Thanks, guys. As always, uh, appreciate you listening. Appreciate you checking in. Subscribe to the show. Give it a share on Facebook, and I will love you forever. I'll see you guys next week for episode 28 of The Nathan Seawood Show. That was The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. 